time. So I wanted to thank Teen Challenge again for your honesty, your courage, and uh, just so you know, I'll let you know a little secret. We're all broken people here. You didn't get to hear our stories, but we have very similar stories. And you can look at the elders and the people who are up here, and uh, Tom was raised in a bar, right, Tom? He's got a story pretty much like one of those stories we heard. And uh, a lot of us have been arrested by God's grace somehow from whatever background, whatever story we had, and God has gotten a hold of us. And church, you might think, is a place to hide, to pretend, to put on your nice clothes. We don't really think that. We think church is a place where you meet God, and that God is a God of grace, and he only has grace for as much as you confess <laughs> and share with other people. And uh, I mean, he's got grace for all of it, but we only really get healing for what we share with each other. We've been talking about how, how scripture says, confess your faults one to another so you may be healed. We also confess our faults to God because he's got grace. So we are starting a series um, called Just Sex, Just Money, Just Power. Now, why are we doing that? That's a good question. I don't know why I'm doing this. Um, because I don't want to talk about this. Because I know some of you, as soon as I bring this up, you start turning red in the face. Um, and it's, it's not easy to talk about these topics because most of us have some kind of shame, some kind of stuff we're dealing with with them. So maybe we're proud, as long as you don't know everything, about, or maybe one area feels good, other areas not so good. But we are starting this because these things are powerful. They are powerful in our lives. And powerful, they can be powerful for good, powerful for bad, but they are powerful things in our lives. They are um, connected to each other. I think somebody mentioned that uh, she needed some money, and so she was selling for, for sex. And there, there, we, we use power to get sex. We use money to get sex. We use, um, this we've been hearing, hashtag me too, is about what? People using money or power to get sex and abusing other people. We, they, they interconnect with each other in some powerful ways. And so they're connected together. Um, I was also inspired by a book I read probably 30 years ago, Money, Sex, and Power. It's one of the points that he makes is that they're interconnected. And he says that's always been an issue. Um, he talks about how the medieval church had vows to protect them, vows of chastity and obedience and poverty that they tried to get especially leadership to, to move on to. The, the Puritans talked about the vows of, in, of industry and faithfulness and mutual um, support to try to deal with this. So this has always been an issue within the church. It's always been an issue outside the church. I thought it was interesting somebody said about, uh, I think J.J. mentioned, we're welcoming the church, we care about what's out. You know what, what's out there is actually in here, <laughs> and we're all out there too. So um, this is stuff we need to, pe because people are seeking and talking and singing about these things. Am, am I right? When you turn on the radio, do you hear about money, sex, or power? The song probably talks about sex, and then the advertisement talks about your money, right? And, and television, and uh, any, any place else you turn. Now, now, some people talk about, you know, I don't want to go to church because they always talk about money. Really? More than you hear out there? 
honestly, um, and people talk about us talking about sex, I, I don't think we talk about sex very much at all. In fact, one of my inspirations for doing this sermon was that I did a sermon called Good Sex about a year ago, and uh, I got a whole bunch of comments from people about how, wow, we've never heard a sermon like that. We've never heard people, I was like, that can't be true. But obviously, because I heard at least one from Pastor Jim, um, that I remember pretty well. Uh, I, I remember one about money, too. Yeah, yeah we've, we've talked about them. But what it told me was, this is something we need to talk about. And actually, I was way too honest for, or, well, I was more honest than I was wanting to be, felt like I had to be more vulnerable and honest. And actually, you know what? I think it was really good because one of my things I said was we need to share with each other. And just the fact that I was honest there, I think meant you all prayed for me because this last year has been a lot more victory for me than it was before. And just saying that is hard as a pastor because you're like, what? He has more victory now, so he didn't have less victory then, so what was going on? Right? You all are thinking we want to be honest and vulnerable, but we don't want our pastors to be that honest or that vulnerable. We want them to be perfect. Uh, sorry. Get new pastors. <laughs> if you can find them. But I know the staff we have and the pastors we have, and yeah, we're not. So um, the other reason we want to talk about it, the church probably doesn't talk about it. We're kind of confused. and we, It's hard to know where to go because you kind of get pushback in a lot of places. Um, and but the truth is the Bible speaks very frankly about this. You read some of these Bible stories and you're like, boy, that, that, it's kind of embarrassing to read that. Good thing they didn't do the illustrated version. Bible is very frank about some of the stuff in here. Am I right? About money, about sex, about power, about violence, all kinds of things. And even in some of the parts in the books of Moses, we skimmed because we're like, you know what? We're not going to go into that verse because that's a whole another thing. We need to delve in depth in each of these areas to kind of put it together. So even though we finished all five books of Moses just recently, there is some of the stuff we hopped over so that we could get it put together and together with the whole of Scripture because there's a lot in what we just covered just in the books of Moses, not to mention a lot of other places. Jesus talked about money all the time. The Song of Solomon is obviously about um, a little bit about sex. Um, a lot of things in there about money, sex, and power. Um, so we want to be honest as we can in this discussion. Now, some of that's going to be honest with all of us here. Some of it's going to be honest in the classes and the small groups and the chew time so that we can um, talk more in depth. If you have a story that you want to share with us, a story about grace, some of the stories that these guys shared or something else, come and talk to me or Pastor Andrew and maybe you write it out or we'll talk about it. We might want some other stories to be shared. Um, and we want to be as honest as we can, as appropriate as we can as well. Um, some of you are going, uh, I don't know if I want to come back. because uh, And some of you said, I really want to come back. But we are needing to talk about So I want to start with some questions. Some questions we have, um, are they good or bad, and why? Is money, sex, and power good or bad? Uh, I think we get two different messages. I think I kind of grew up in the church feeling like they were bad. You should not do those. You should restrain them. You should pretend. 
not, not too much money, not too much power, not too much sex. I, I kind of got that feeling. And then, you know, sometimes in the world you hear about hashtag me too, this, all this bad. And then on the other hand, you got the opposite. Like, oh, sex is great. It's going to be great. More money, more money. And sometimes in the, in the church too, we talk about, oh, you're going to have great sex if you just do it God's way. And we, what is the deal? Is it good? Or is it bad? Or what is it? I think we're confused sometimes. Um, and where do we get it? What's the source? And how do I get more? Or how do I get it better or more fulfilled or something? Right? I think that's a question we're all asking. Um, who decides who gets how much and how they should be used? Who gets to decide how much money I get? Well, you all do. But that's uh, other people. Who gets to decide? <laughs> who gets to decide how much money? And who gets to decide how it gets used? Do I get to decide how I use my money? Do I get to decide how I use my body? Do I get to decide how I use the power that I'm given? Or do we all, or who gets to decide about, and how do I get it anyways? Um, and what is the purpose? Why? Do we have money? Why do we have sex? Why did God make that? What, why any of this? And ultimately, a lot of these questions come down to a bigger question. Pastor Jim liked to say, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So who are you? Who are we? That is the question we have to start with. So I want you to turn to the first page of the Bible in front of you, um, or on your phone, except it doesn't have pages, but uh, easy to find the Bible in front of you. Genesis chapter 1. First book of the Bible. Who are we? God says God was creating everything. He was blessing things. He created the birds and the fish. Everything was formless and empty. He gave it form, and then he was filling it. He filled it with birds and fish and blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. Then he created animals. And then the next verse says, and God saw it was good. That's verse 26 of chapter 1. Genesis says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign. Now, I want you to pay attention. Look for money, sex, and power as we read this. All right, You've probably never looked at that before. But look, pay attention to where those are. They will reign. There's a power one for you. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You notice any sexuality stuff there? God created males and females. And males and females are in his image. The fact that I'm male and female, well, I'm not both, but the fact that some of us are males and some of us are females is God's image. And I, I want you to be clear, especially for the women, that you are in God's image. Sometimes we get confused just because of the way pronouns work that God is not a man, in case you didn't know. God is beyond sex, but he also, there's something about sexuality and all of us being in community and us being males and females that expresses who God is. 
I also grew up with this sense that, um, you know, spiritual was better. So things were spiritual, so she would, you should like spiritual things. So money, sex, and power are very not spiritual. But God made us, and he made us sexual beings, male and female, in his image. You got that? So the fact that I am in this body is in God's image. And in fact, he really showed that off when he came as a person. And he had to choose whether he was going to be a male or female, but he chose one and he expressed that in a body that had sexual desires, that used money, that used power, dealt with power. We, you have to know who you are first. And that all of this is a gift from God. So power is part of it. Sex is part of it. And I want you, too, to be clear. You need to know who you are because the world is going to tell you who you are. The world's going to say you have this worth. This is your net worth. Or maybe you're in debt and your net negative worth. The world tries to tell you that that's what you're worth. Or they try to pigeonhole you and say you're a heterosexual, homosexual, or LGBTQ, or you're bi, or you're something. Is that who you are? Or are you in God's image, whatever your desires are? Are you a powerful person? Or a powerless person? Or an oppressor? Or an oppressed? Or a... The world is trying to tell you, I want you to hear, number one, every one of you, you are God's image. However, you're broken. You're not an addict. You're God's image. You're not a pervert. You're in God's image. You're not a skinny person, fat person, tall person. You're in God's image. That is number one. And we, together, are God's image. We are the body of Christ. And so... Let's read on. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So there's an abundance, a giving, a prosperity. Oh, they didn't have money. Money is just a way that we calculate and exchange that abundance. Fill the earth and reign over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That is power. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. God blessed them abundantly. They were not hungry. They were not saying, oh, if I wish I had, I could have. No, they were full <laughs> in every sense of the term. Then God looked over all he had made and he said that it was very good. Very good. Did you guys see money, sex, and power in there? Did you see how they're connected? Did you see that it all is very good? Sex and sexuality is very good. Blessing and prosperity and money is very good. Power to reign, to rule is very good. That's the way God made it. You with me? And some of you are saying, uh, but 
Okay, so sex, money, and power are good blessings from God. Where do we get it from? From God. God gave it to you. All that we have is a gift from God. Now, some of you have sometimes said, is this really a gift? I'll, tell you, I'll be honest, my sexuality, there was times I've said, is this really a gift? Doesn't feel like it. Power? Is power really a gift? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but they're all good blessings from God. They're part of being God's image. They're part of being God's image. Can you, can you grasp that? Maybe not quite. They are, but they're also just creations. They're not God's. So one thing that has happened as God has been uh, dethroned, God's dethroned in our culture or society or in your life, other things have to take that place to give meaning to your life and purpose to your life. And I hope you've noticed that things that weren't that big a deal, if God's taking care of meaning and purpose and who you are and identity and all those things, then other things don't have to. But as soon as you kind of shove God aside, something else becomes God. And I start needing money or needing a career or needing stuff to show that I'm somebody. Or I start needing sex to approve me. Or, or I start needing an identity through my sexuality. Or I start needing power to be able to be over so I can feel like I'm somebody. Or, and I start seeking that, worshiping that, striving after that, it becomes God. It becomes a God to me. Anything we depend on for our security or identity, or those become gods to us. So you'll notice that in the way we titled this, we're talking about seeking justice. We're also talking about it's just sex. It's just power. It's just money. It's not God. It's not able to do all the things we hope it'll do for us. It's just money. And there's a lot of people, false gods never fail to fail. And there's a lot of people who have sought one of the others, and probably all of us at some time have sought one of the others, hoping that they would fulfill us, hoping they give us what we need, give us identity, give us something. And they don't. False gods never fail to fail. And the false gods we go after, career or marriage or family or something else that's going to give us these things that we need never fails to fail either because it all comes from God. Every other person is also in God's image. Now, if we really got that and we really lived that, we wouldn't have a lot of issues with justice because the truth is most of our justice issues are when we see somebody else as not really God's image. We put some kind of other label on them. We, we, they're not really people. They're not really in God's image. So they are people that can, you know, it doesn't matter if they get less money or if they, you know, if war is happening over there in Africa, whatever, you know, that's not a big deal. If, if those are, we, whatever, I, I, I don't want to start listing labels, but labels we put on people to make them less than so that we can exploit them, right? So we can have power over them. They're not Americans, or they're not my color, or they're not my gender, or they're not my um, sexuality, whatever. They're, 
somehow less. And we put some other label on them. And when we don't see them as fully God's image, that if we could really see, C.S. Lewis talks about, they're just bursting with the glory of God. We would look totally different at them. But we try to make ourselves a little better since we don't have God to give us meaning and identity. And we put other people down and we exploit them. And we look at images of other people on billboards, magazines, internet to exploit their bodies to make us feel good and not like that's an image of God I'm looking at. We, we make them less than the image of God and that's a key thing where exploitation and injustice come from. God, also this tells us that God decides the purpose and the parameters because if God gave it, he gave it with instructions and this is how it's used. So if God said, here is the fruit, here's the garden, here's how you use it, he gets to decide how we use it. If he said, here, I'm going to let you reign for me, on behalf of me, he gets to decide how we use power. If he gave us sexuality, he gets to decide how, when, where, who we get to use it with. You following me? Of course, we soon find the temptation, Adam and Eve and all of us, like, but I want to decide what's good and evil, what I get to do with my money, what I get to do with my body. But this says God decides. Keys to living justice with and for people. Money, sex, and power are keys. How we live with God, it's justice with God and justice with people. But it also says it's not just for self because that's when money, sex, and power became greed, lust, and pride when they become evil. So we just saw how God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2. We'll talk some more next time about how God created it just and right and blessed. The world was great, and relationships with God were great. Relationships between people were great. Relationships with creation was just, loving, wonderful. And then they decided they wanted to do things their own way. Relationships against God, rebellion against God led to unjust relationships, not only with God, we put other idols in, other things, but also between people. Started not seeing each other as the image of God. And I don't have time to read Genesis 3, but if you, I hope you do, read Genesis 3, and you'll notice as soon as they rebelled against God, shame came in. They had to cover up. They had to hide. And then... When they were asked about it, he said, she did it. The woman you gave me, she did it. Went from shame to blame, to injustice, to wanting to rule over each other and desire being for each other and the soil bringing thorns instead of fruit. Money, sex, and power were destroyed in that rebellion. So you say, Was it, is it good or is it bad? It's good. It's a good gift from God. But it's all of us have experienced it bad, been victims, been victimizers, misused, and had it misused. So I want to show us a quick video to, to uh, capture some of what I, uh, to try to give a, a little bit of, can we put up the video, of what the, um, what the image of God captures. I hope you'll, you'll follow this. It's got a lot 
in it in a well put, but there's a, it's very compact. You can also look it up online if you want to watch it again. The Bible Project. So let's run that. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were oh. gods, and they would even call themselves <clears throat> the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called tselem, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the god. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. Gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand. Ruling is really the day-to-day -day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Huh? Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. 
And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that. They also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, This is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. Okay. So I hope you got a, a glimpse of that. I wanted that to, to take us from the image of God at the beginning to the end. And the fact that w- there is a way to move from selfish using money, sex, and power for myself to using it under God's authority and for His glory and for each other and to bless each other and to build the kind of kingdom that God wanted. And Jesus is the, not only the example, but the Savior, the power, the one who can transform us into what we were intended to be, can, can make us into his image, into his body. And as, as they did, I want to go to the last page. And uh, I want us to read that you could... You can read the, this yourself more, but uh, Revelation 22, just a, a quick take there. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life. This is in the New Jerusalem. Clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, which they'd lost in the garden. Life is restored, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Life, healing, is restored. We're back to the garden, except it's a city. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. God restores that prosperity. And there's even a wedding supper. Now it's the Jesus finally gets to get married. And he marries his bride, the church, us. And there's a restoration of that fruitfulness and that reigning. In case you thought you were just going to sit around and play harps, there's worshiping God involved, but there's also all that reigning that we're going to get to do in the new Jerusalem and on the new earth. God's got hope for us. 
and for the broken image that you see when you look around you. For the broken image you see when you look in the mirror. God's got hope. God's got victory. God's got grace to heal you and make you who you were made to be. Who you really want to be. So, my challenge for you before next time, just read and pray through Genesis 1-3. to You can read the end of the book too if you want. But, that's the foundation for everything that the Bible says. We're going to start with sex, and we're going to look more deeply at that in the coming weeks. And uh, read Genesis 1-3, to pray through it, see what God's saying about money, sex, and power, specifically in those texts. Um, and then I've got a question for you. Will you live justice? This is our year of living justice. Will you live justice as God's image? Will you surrender to him as king, as God? Will you surrender your quest for money, sex, and power to him? Will you receive, will you open your hands so you can receive all the blessing that he has for you and give him control of everything he wants to do and open your hands to others with all the blessings that he's given you? Are you ready to surrender, to receive, to give? Or are you wanting to do things your own way, define things your own way, decide what's good and bad yourself? We're all in that tension, I know. But I'm inviting you to enter into being that image and following Jesus. And then I want you to ask God to live in you his image and blessing of sex, money, and power. I want you to ask God to live through you what he intended for sex, for money, for power. I want you to ask him to bless you and to make you a blessing in each of those areas, in your sexuality, in your money, in the power and control and authority you have. So let's pray. Lord, and I'd ask the worship team to come up. I'd also ask the prayers to come up. And that, Lord, we, um, we ask you to do what we cannot do. We ask you to break the curse. We ask you to break the bondage that we've gotten ourselves into by doing things our own way, trying to figure these things out ourselves. Lord, we confess that we are broken, that we are powerless that we are unable. But we also confess that you created us to be your image and that you came again to restore your image in us. Lord, make us who you made us to be by your power and by your grace. And Lord, I pray as we go into these next weeks and all through this fall, as we are through Christmas, as we are looking at these issues of sex and money and power, that you would transform us so that individually and together we reflect your image. Transform us so that we can take your blessings, receive them graciously, and give them graciously. Not just for ourselves, but for others. 
and to glorify you. God, we know that we cannot do that. We do not have it in us, but we know that you who created us, who died to save us, who's coming to complete that work, you can do it even now. So we ask you, do that in us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.